Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about where those weeds are coming from as you harvest your corn silage. In our spotlight, we're going to take a look at a case in Missouri involving CAFOs. A history minute, we'll talk atrazine. We'll wrap things up with some cool beans that's corny with current events in our Field Good Friday segment. With me today are Bill Schaumberg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. Max. Hey, Max. Staring Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading the. I was reading the. That's corny. Sorry. <laughs> Todd Chubbard. He wrote this episode. That's so great. Right. I did just out reading. I did. Yeah, yeah. I was. Like, re- I was. I was double reading. All right. I was making sure. <laughs> the panic in his eyes was just. It was bad. Sorry. Sorry. Like, Sorry. I was just waiting because yeah. I didn't want to save on that. I just wanted to watch. What's up, everybody? <laughs> hey to all the Tilthies out there, and I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. We needed a video on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, was like because he was just like in the zone. Like, do you ever even. get called on in school? Yeah, but you weren't raising your hand. I hated teachers like that. Yeah, and like that was the look on Max's. It's <laughs> exactly why they called it you because they knew you weren't paying attention. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> Clean it up in the second half. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that out in yeah. post. Yeah, so yeah. Cut, cut that. Cut that. <laughs> no, we're leaving that in. <laughs> That look on his face is like the Packers week one. Yes. Thankfully, week two. Things look a lot better ahead of the massacre potential that is coming for week three. So, The massacre we're going to dish out in week three. No one's going to have a wide receiver. That's what I've determined. There will be exactly zero, zero starting wide receivers on the field. Right. Both teams. Yep. Just going to run. Has Aaron Rodgers typically doesn't do well in Tampa either, right? He's, He's just lost not, the last four. Yeah, it's, it's not, not his place. It's his. It's like Dallas to Brett Favre. Yeah, it, it's his. Three presidents ago was the last time he won. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. That'd be pretty. I mean, it's going to be a tough game, but there's a good chance. Like we're the better team. I do feel like so. Hopefully, we can pull out a win there. Their defense is still pretty darn good. They have a really yeah. good defense. They've been poor against the run this year. Yeah. They have. Yep. Hopefully they'll figure out that they can't run sideline to sideline because those two linebackers, you know, they're so good at scraping and just hitting the outside that they got to run right at them. I'm hoping. It does seem like we like to run sideline to sideline. It's the thunder yeah. and lightning combo. We, needed, we need both thunder and lightning this yeah. week. Who's the thunder? AJ Dillon. I mean, Todd, come on. <laughs> they call one guy Legatron. Yeah. Who do you think is the thunder? I like that. Is it because his thighs are like thunder? Yeah, they're huge. Thunder thighs. There's a different meaning for that, <laughs> Max. <laughs> I choose to not talk about that right now. I choose to talk about the AJ Dillon meaning, about the fact that he has tree trunks for legs. And they're not like little maple tree tree trunks, they're redwoods from California tree trunks. The feeling I have, though, is the Packers wide receivers will play. Like, they're just on an injury report, but they'll end, most of them will end up playing. The Tampa Bay guys with the suspension and all their issues, I think there's going to be less of them guys playing than our guys. Their guys are still better than our guys, right, as right. a whole? So, yeah, that would be tough. Yeah, like our starters are their third. And fourth receiver, right. basically. Our, our A1 is their third or fourth. So it's not really... 
it'll be about even now if their guys don't play and all our guys do. But kind of we can start getting the tight end in. Like I feel like they've been yeah. just doing nothing, and we kind of thought Tanyan being back would be. Yeah, I mean, he's really helpful. Give him time to get it back into the groove, though. I mean, he's David Bakhtiari is taking him two years to get over yeah. the ACL. So <laughs> yeah, he's not back yet either, is he? That is wild. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to play this year. To be honest, you don't. Th- you think he'll? It's going to be going to be tough if he doesn't play soon. His career is over. That's my. He's, he's not really even that close to playing. Well, what, what Max said last week's right is like the mental part too. He doesn't seem right. like he's he doesn't want to come back. Right. The That's way scarier seems, than so. if it is actually something that he's just got to wait to be ready. Yeah. No, I think we're we're going to be. Watching the Yash Naiman show. He's been good. He's good. And he's been, doing he's been good. really yep. good. So I'm fine. He's like in the top 10 on uh, pass pro in the league right now. So I'm I'm fine with him. Staying. And there were marked improvements with Elton Jenkins this yeah. week. Yeah. So, I mean. He's uh, he's back. Yeah. I mean, while it'd be great to have Bakhtiari back to where he was. like Why, why does Rodgers, like, get so down on all his wide receivers and call them out? But, like, Bakhtiari, like, is so his guy that he won't. And and maybe behind the scenes he is calling him out on some of this. Like, hey, when you back, it's harder to call out a guy for an injury. I guess, like, true. Even if you think it's been it's been long enough, quit milking the thing. It's harder than a rookie then, just going out and dropping a pass that's right in the bucket. Yeah, maybe he gave him too much ayahuasca. Maybe it's yeah. his fault. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, at least he wasn't breaking tablets on the field or, right. like some other quarterbacks. <laughs> Who will play this weekend? In Tom Tampa Brady Bay. broke some tablets yeah, last week. Yeah, he he broke, one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I this this is what kills me about Tom Brady is every time he throws these temper tantrums, which he's done for his whole career, it was like, oh, this isn't Tom Brady. This is not what Tom Brady like. Yeah, where or, were you, where have you been? This is Tom Brady. He or throws or temper tantrums. Like, Look at the leadership. Like he's yeah. just there he's so the, committed. Yeah, and then when Rodgers does, the fiery it, leader of the Tampa Bay yeah. Buccaneers. And when Rodgers does it, he's a premature. Prima donna baby, yeah. right? Yeah. It just yeah, it kill it it kills me. Like, oh yeah, this this isn't Tom Brady. This is you know, he must I mean, really be worked up. Yeah. Some of that is Aaron Rodgers' fault because he is in years past, he's getting a lot better the last two years, it seems like, but he's always been super like I don't say standoffish, but he's not a darling in the media ever. Like he just would prefer not to talk to you where Brady will get in front of a microphone any chance you get yeah. him and, yeah. and smile and show off his dimples and talk about T V twelve. Yeah, yeah, because he does like Monday night stuff too, like with the radio. Yeah, like little interviews. Tom like, Brady, does. yeah, like before the game, halftime. So it's usually with Jim, his buddy Jim Gray. That's why I think that's part of the reason why Aaron Rodgers always gets made out to be the villain because he has kind of made himself the villain over the years. But yeah, I I agree though. It's kind of a bunch of BS. Hate Tom Brady so much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to be one of those guys who's like Tom Brady sucked. He wasn't actually that good, but I will say I don't like him. I don't. I don't There's like a, him. I saw a stat rolling around yesterday. It was like first game, like 30 points or more that the defense has given up. So like the Packers defense gave up 30 points. How many games into Rogers' career was like 15? And the stat was Brady has never had his defense give up more than 30 points and still win. <clears throat> I don't even know if it was still win or just at all. It probably can't be at all. But it's got to be in still win. Yeah. So like he's never won a shootout. Yeah, he's never had to. 
that top 10 defense you see that one that's been going around like all season no number of years with the top 10 defense and brady it's like all of them yeah and paid manning drew Brees, and rogers it's like two or three you know the new spin zone now is brady doesn't play defense but you got a leader like that in the facility it just makes the defense better (laughs) Better. my theory is he's (laughs) he's like the abusive boyfriend that the girlfriend just keeps going back to like he just abuses them all so much they see it as normal. They and like so, it. Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, please. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May Thank you, another. sir. May I have another? Hit me again, daddy. Speaking of abuse that keeps on going. Oh, silage? my God. Don't Corn even silage. start. <clears throat> it's been a long season already. It's, it never even start. Yeah. Like, it feels like it's been going no. for months and it was like, yeah. Like 10% done. No. <laughs> yeah, it's been a. Don't you like when fields get taken off and it's a nice, like, harvested field? Like, this was our work all summer, and now it's yeah, you in do. the bunker? You do, except for, like, it's taking a really long time. <laughs> There's something about the cadence of a combine. It's a little more calm and, like, more, like, just slow the, and steady. The, yeah, you, you can be the turtle stone savers. Silage, like, it's, you got to be, like. It's, it's a hectic pace. Yeah, yeah. you get, the pace you got to set to do it is, like, it's go time, and. And you feel like you're behind before you even started. And it's like, how can that happen? Well, you know, combining corn, it's not going to go from well, and if 22% it, to 9% in three days. And if it does get drier, it's better. Right. Like or, silage, we're like freaking out because uh, this 69% could go to 59 in in two days. Yeah. Right. No, it's it's just a wild season that way where it all hang at, hung at 70% for what felt what did for two weeks. Yeah. And then just well, and field conditions weren't great. They weren't. To, they weren't perfect. Right. Right. When you got a dump cart, dump cart, and are not great. <laughs> not weren't great. Are not great. I was watching the disaster unfold in front of me yesterday, and I. Well, they're, be- they're better today than they were a week ago. Right. Sure, but but they're talking rain again this weekend. So now <laughs> yeah, that's part of the race of like okay, we we had a rain Tuesday morning, and we have rain coming this weekend. So now we have this four day window of. Here we go. We better rock and roll. Here's going to be the thing, and I want you guys to... This is the Max Radamus coming out right now. I Ooh. want you guys to remember this next Two in one episode. I don't see the four-foot ruts that we see, that we saw in like 18 and 19, right? I right. don't see those. Oh, yeah. No. It's wet enough, though. We're, yeah. we're doing damage. It doesn't look like it. Terrible right now. Like, I was soil sampling some stuff. Ooh. It's bad. So still control your traffic. It's bad. Yeah, it's a lot worse than I think. I think it's a lot worse than people are going to remember in a month. Right. Because it's not. Or like you say, next spring, I mean, you're going to be like, we're not, we're not pulling the chopper out every 20 minutes. So like, oh, it can't be that bad, right? But Right. Fields are passable, but it's still not ideal. No, we're yeah. definitely making more compaction than than we should be, um, but it's got to come off. So Yeah, that's always the thing with silage is you can't, right, you you can't just wait. Right, you yeah. need to at that moisture, and you got to go and absolutely, absolutely. But. And maybe the the stress is always right. We have to feed this for the next year, so if we make it wrong, we have a daily reminder of we have bad feed or dry feed or it's not packing right or it's we're like throwing ha- more off the pile than we need to because it's molding or whatever. It's Happy Gilmore when he doesn't make the team. Oh, Three hundred sixty-four <laughs> more days till silage season. 363 more days till silent season. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Yeah. So. Even the crews that these guys need is just unreal to think. You know, yeah. it's the... 
when you're combining, you just need a guy in the combine, guy in the semi, a guy in the dump cart. You know, it's you don't even need that. Or, you know, in the grain cart. This, it's now they need you know semi drivers, dump cart drivers, pile guys, and it just and depending on the pile, more than one pile guy. Right, well, then that's what blows me away now is the amount of weight we are putting on these piles. Like there's a it's usually multiple tractors on well, the pile. Well, it's the it's the amount of weight we're bringing in, right? Because we're right. not chopping with one chopper anymore. Right. We're chopping with four, yeah, five. So, yeah. I mean, so you gotta you ha- you can't run with one tractor. They can't keep up with that kind of tonnage coming in. Yeah, no. Shout out to all the guys harvesting out there, and yeah, do what you can to get some sleep and get ready for the next day. But that that's what I see. These guys are already hitting hard from just lack of sleep, and it's it catches up with you quick, and then you're you're mudding through stuff, and it's not muddy like Max said. It's just not right. It's not dry. You see it like driveways are getting beat up pretty good. Corners are getting beat up a little yep. bit. And you, so you can tell it's definitely wetter than we'd like it to be. Um, it's not a disaster. But we also, I haven't seen a semi in a field yet. So, right. Which I would think today. That There's some areas that guys are able to do it. I would bet fields, I would bet today there yeah, are some I, semis. I've seen some smaller in. trucks. Yeah. But not, yeah, not the big semis. And dump carts. Lots of dump carts. Oh, the old dump cart. Everybody's favorite piece of equipment, right? <laughs> if you were quick, you might have found a couple for sale right before silence started. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But anyway, you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. You bet. All right, Max. Where are these weeds coming from? Yeah, so uh, this goes kind of hand in hand at the start of silage season. You, um, so we scout stuff all summer, and you know, you see the weeds, and you see what's going on. And then silage comes off, and everybody sees the weeds, and everybody sees what's going on. And I think you get a, I think we get a better appreciation too of what the whole field looks like again at once, which is cool, I guess. Cool, unless it's full of weeds. <laughs> unless it's not cool. Yeah. Um. So we were talking about some of this, some of this yesterday, and I thought, you know what? Let's let's really dive into this one a little more. So, if you notice, a lot of grass, specifically grass, I think, um, but. A lot of weedier fields than what we'd like to see. So, you know, through a couple of reasons of why we kind of feel like those that this is happening. And the first one is poor active poor activation of pre-emergence herbicides. So, um, we got a little table here we're working off of, but it's how much rainfall it needs for activation on two of these group fifteen herbicides, which is acetochlor and esmetalochlor. For and this is for control on giant foxtail, which Makes sense because we're talking about how we're having a lot of grass issues. So I'm gonna so table fits really nice. Um, and basically, at you know, if you get a quarter inch of rain, S metallic lore is 57 percent control. Like that's not very good control um, when you think about it. You need a, a full inch for that 100 percent control. Um, so generally, we'd like to see between three quarters an inch of precipitation in the first week, and then approximately two inches of precipitation spread out over the first two weeks. So one for sure in the first week, and then another one the week after is really good. Real for a hundred percent, like yeah. When we talked potential. about this, Max, that was more than what came to my mind. I'm like, oh, as long as you get a half inch, you're good. And the more you dug into it, it's like, no, you really do need to have sort of significant rainfall at planting time. That's pretty significant to get two inches. And Max and I dug back at you know weather. 
to see, like, did we get that in some of these areas we were talking where we had a little bit poor weed control or didn't we? And what would you find on that, Max? Yeah, so if we go back, um, we I got the May and the June rainfall here. I mean, that's when basically everything was kind of sprayed. Um, and we took a, if you take a planting date of May 15th, which is kind of an average date for a lot of us, um, we basically have a half inch for 10 days after May 15th. So that's less than the inch that you asked for, Todd. So right. starting off, not a great place to start. On the 26th, we would have got another inch and a third, which feels like you're in the right spot. But that first 10 days with nothing is not really ideal. That really kicks you in the butt. Um, the the other part is when reading more on this, it said when the soil is dry when they're applying, like you actually need more rain to activate. Yep. So when we're, if you remember, it was just dusty, dry on top. Well, it should be dry if you're planting, right? Right, it should. But it was like kind of more, especially on top, it was more baked and dry. Underneath, it might not have been. But so even just look at that and go like, shoot, we needed probably even more rainfall to sort of activate. And so that that herbicide was sort of just sitting there basically becoming inactive before you even got it applied. So what Max is saying too is you could have probably applied with a lesser rate 10 days later and had better control because you would have applied. Yeah, if you were right playing even May 19th, right. it would have been probably about perfect. Because right. your soils had more moisture right. innately in them. This is what's interesting is I looked at last year then compared to this year and we were in the same boat last year. If we planted May 15th, would have got about four tenths of rain in yeah, 10 days. That. Yeah. So really it's the last two years we've had kind of that cool start where stuff wasn't really pushing out very fast and lack of, lack of moisture. Um, I will, I will say that I will reiterate what Todd said before that, that, um, when we're you know doing the research and kind of seeing you know that one and three quarters of two being your op being what you really need for optimal like control, that number was like a half inch, like in my head, like what you should. No, need. I it was like a half inch. It was like right. run with a half yep. inch, you should be good. We get a half inch of rain, we're we're in we're in business, and it's not. It, e- it's more. <laughs> even like looking at the label, like Duels label for fine texture soil, which a lot of where we saw the problem was more on fine texture soil. It says. An inch of rain within two days of application. Right. Like we didn't. We don't no. get that anywhere. Like no. And then we're worried. What are we worried at that point? Is it's cold rain. Right. We're trying to get the corn to germinate. Right. And we get poor germination. So can't win. Well, and at that point too, if it's cold enough that your corn's not germinating, not that there's not going to be any weeds, but your weeds that you want to control are coming on later too. Yep. So like we had talked earlier, Max, you know, these pre's in these conditions, you're kind of wasting your your e- efficacy right. by, by being this early on. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, do you think, so let's hearken back to, hearken. like when you started, it was a lot done, say with the, either on the tillage tool. Right. Or you would spray and they'd come back and and work it yeah, like, to incorporate like how much was that when you dual yeah dual hornet was dang everything was dual hornet with a floater big ass nozzle 30 gallons with 
28 or 30. It was 28. We weren't doing 32 at the time. And then I distinctly remember, because I I was first time ever spraying. I sucked at it. I hated it. That's why I'm doing this job and not at the (laughs) co-op. But I distinctly remember the old timer in the sprayer with me. We were spraying, and I got off my path, and I had left a three, four-foot swipe or whatever of where I missed the herbicide. You know, I could tell I missed. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. They're coming back with two passes of tillage. It'll get mixed around enough. Like, it was all pre-plant incorporate everything. And would you agree now we've flopped to, like, all, nearly everything is not pre-plant Correct. incorporate? I mean, we've gone It's to, almost like, will this um, work if I incorporate it? Like, well, and, will and that we actually were, work? And we were getting sort of too deep with yeah. some of the incorporation, and we were, you know, it wasn't always working great. I mean, you're not supposed to mold board well, for pre-plant <laughs> cor- corporation, but... So, so that was always a tough call, too, of, like, but it did seem to activate. And I swear we've gone for a lot of years where this has worked, though, without the pre-incorporation, but it is almost like we got to get now to either you time it ahead of an activation rain or you till it to incorporate, like, to activate. Well, like, there's... And why are we doing pre-emergent sprays when we're doing them? Because the soil is fit and we can get a sprayer across, spray right? If we yep. can plant, we can spray. Yep. So... That's why we're doing it, right? Because we know we're not going to make a mess. Why do we... Well, then why don't we just wait to do everything post? Well, we're afraid it's going to get too wet and we can't get in and the weeds get ahead of us and we make ruts and all those things that are bad things that we do to fields because we have no other choice. And then the chopper guy's mad and whatever else. So that's why we're doing the pre's. But I think from weed control standpoint, like you said, Max... We're running three weeks. We're just throwing three weeks out the window. Yeah, I mean, it, the caveat to that whole argument about like we're you know we're going because the ground's fit. Well, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't do help us, right. right? The ground can be fit all at once. You know, the ground was fit three weeks ago for silage. It was really nice and dry and powdery. The silage is at seventy eight percent, right? So we weren't going to make silage because the ground was fit. But for some reason, we like to make herbicide and, fer- and fertilizer applications like that and it's not that's a it's a thing like it's a learned behavior right but i think maybe we got to start challenging that a little more because it's not and working <laughs> i know we're not quite talking about soybeans today but i did I, have an active grower a grower that i work with this spring we actually had that conversation of the beans have taken so long to come out of the ground why am i busting my butt to get out there right away when i can wait a week spray and still not have any emergence of the beans, use my Sonic or whatever. And then that gives me an extra week in the back end. Yep. So I have one grower that's in that mindset. I think you're right, though. We need to start thinking that differently. I, I, you know, for quite a few guys, I've actually, that are one-man operations, they're doing their own planting, their own spraying, that one guy doing everything. I've actually moved away from some of those herbicides that can't go on emerge beans because it just doesn't seem like we have the we're either it's either put it on before and then oh crap we can't plant and we waste three days because we didn't get them planted and then we waste another two weeks because they don't come out of the ground and it's like why don't we just do something that's safe on beans and you get all your beans in the ground and we'll go back and fix it and if some of them are emerged fine if some of them aren't fine but at least we're consistent so yeah. So then the next thing we talked about, um, 
was or we should talk about is that the late late season weed flushes are when max can i just jump back one yep and obviously the listeners can't see it but every herbicide has a fuzz different yep need you know i think dual is one of them that does need more it needs a lot it actually is one that needs more it doesn't say it on the research we've done but i've heard salesmen and i've heard uh, BSF over the years say Outlook is one that needs quite very little. very little. So I think now's the time to start doing some research on how each herbicide fits in your program, pricing, availability, all that. But also take into that rainfall consideration too on which one you choose and when you apply it. So sorry. No, you're good. So then that late that late season weed flush combined from uh, periods of consistent rainfall over a certain period of time and slow crop canopy. So generally, if you see like a four inch rainfall in one day and then it's dry for a while, I'm, that doesn't always amount to a, to a big weed flush. But if you can see consistently over a third of an inch, like four or five times in two weeks, that seems to be enough to f- send a pretty good flush. Um, so if we look back into July here, I got the weather history kind of kind of blown right in here july 5th we got an inch july 8th we got uh eight tenths july 9th we got three tenths july 13th we got four this is tenths. right at crop can you know like yep. right ahead of that canopy time where right at probably right after last herbicide pass right right at a ba- really especially bad time. after especially if you just did like a roundup like a pre-down come back with roundup no residual yep. in there and that's hard because a lot of those residuals the corn's getting too tall for that anyway right but your roundup killed maybe some of the flush you had but then this is that like what we're calling that very late flush it's amazing because it's timing up like the one really bad field to have we sprayed roundup on june 23rd so and we killed it all and then now like you said july 4th july 7th all the way through and now we come to harvest and there's barnyard grass everywhere yep so basically what this amounts to is we had one, two, uh, three, four, five over three tenths, and then there's another uh, couple that are just under a tenth or right at a tenth mixed in there in a base from July 5th to July 16th. Now, if you go back and you think about our season, uh, July 5th to July 16th was a really good time to reach canopy. That's when we did a lot of it, but it was super slow. It took forever for stuff to canopy. Corn in our area, in general, is short this year. Um, shorter than it usually is. It's and not It's not short like five feet. But I would say, too, it was shorter early on. And it was also, like, the drone is starting to show me this now. of Like, what we think is crop canopy from the road, is, or even walking it. Is not crop canopy. Like, at waist high to even shoulder high, you're like, oh, it's canopied. Yeah, it's, it's too tall. Yeah. When you bring that drone up and look down, you, like, still see, you see a lot soil. of soil, yeah. So th- this is a window where, y- you know, you you hope whatever flush comes, then the corn can weigh out compete it, so it's not really a problem. But come harvest, you're still going to see it out there. Yeah. yeah. So it may not be yield limiting at this point. And um, I remember harkening back to the weed soft Nebraska's weed oh, yeah. soft software. That was awesome. I actually just recently tried to get did ever, like. Did you ever use did that? Ever, Max? Yeah. You guys ever hear that? Yeah. Yeah. You, we we used, used yeah, it. Yeah. Yep. 
There was a software max where you could you punch put, in. You put this on top of your dinosaur to get reception. Or it what? was. Yeah. It was like. It was a. It was you like actually needed DOS. a CD. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. It was a, you you put your density, your weed density, so you'd have a hundred square feet, and you'd count the weeds in that area and put it in there. What the weeds were, how dense, how tall, and the height height yep. of the corn, stage of the corn, and it would tell you like basically spray or how, not. Yeah. Is it worth it to spray or not? Um, they don't do it anymore because they didn't have enough research to sort of keep it going like that they didn't feel the the tool was robust enough but it was an awesome tool and it was amazing that once you got to v6 if you were clean to v6 any other weed that came was a waste of time like it didn't pay and especially at v8 like especially broad leaves right like if you had some grasses it was different but if you had like low density of velvet leaf it it looks like garbage but it didn't matter. It doesn't going to impact it. You lost money by making that pass. All right. Now, here's the fudge factor on that whole thing. There are certain growers that the return on investment does not matter. <laughs> it better be clean yeah, in it's September. Look, right? Yeah. Agreed. So, anyway, so the point was here, we had we had the right, what, the right rainfall for that late flush. That's kind of the rainfall you're looking for. And it was at the exact wrong time. You made your last pass. You weren't going to be able to get back in there. It was too tall. We were off label, all that stuff. But it hadn't quite canopied yet. And here you go. We get the we get the wrong weather at the wrong time. And and there again, Bill, like you were mentioning, with you know, we're not specifically talking about beans, but beans especially were super yeah. short until oh they mid to late July, and all yeah. of a sudden 30, they jumped up. Thirty inch beans like took forever to canopy. It felt like, well, like there, there are them, still beans out there still, that are not yeah, canopy. Right, right, right. You know what's crazy though is sometimes you see that, but the beans are super short. I just have beans that like, and they're a bushy type plant, and the population's right, and they still are not canopied, and they're tall. I mean, yeah. they're nice, yeah. yeah, but they're just not. They don't have the. They're not fluffy enough, I guess. Fluffy enough. Fluffy enough. Yeah, right. I'm saying fluffy. Is, is that a term in the it's, seed uh, guide? It's bushy, but I'm not a seed salesman, so I say fluffy. Fluffy. <laughs> this here ain't cotton, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Soybeans. So, the poor timing. Uh, <laughs> poor timing on that as well. And then uh, the last the last one, and I, I think this is one that's really hard to quantify, but I, I see a little bit of a pattern going here. Are we so worried about water hemp? or Palmer that we're forgetting about some of these other weeds. Are we so concerned with like, we can't have water hemp. We got to just take care of water hemp that we're forgetting to take care of grass. It seems like grass. I don't know what you guys feel, but grass this year is a pain I, in the jar. I agree. With it was grass. You, yeah. I agree with you, Max, but also some of the stuff that does well on water hemp, you know, like your duels of seed chlorus have a little control on water hemp. Those have a lot of control on grass. So it being a small seeded broadleaf, I think helps us, but that they kind of go hand in hand. But I would agree with you is I do feel like we're so worried about that one weed that we also get kind of, you know, we're, we're on the attack of that weed that we can get, you know, broadsided well, by something else. He, or they're we, we flanking expect us. that to be the late flush. Yes. Here's, here's, yes. One of the, here's one of the trends I see talking to some other guys, right? Not necessarily me or you guys, but here's something I've heard this summer a couple times was, well, why are we throwing Roundup in? That doesn't kill water hemp anyway. We should just spray yeah. status. Right. It, it doesn't kill water hemp. You're right. It doesn't. But it kills everything else. So we kind of got to... <laughs> You know, and I feel like even, that's one of those things. Even high price Roundup in general made us use it differently. And think of what the other Roundup change was. We went to a lot of Roundup that was the 
the Power Max 3, the kind of more higher test stuff. Yep. And that stuff, too, we're, I don't want to say we're not used to spraying it yet, but maybe it needs a little more water. Maybe it needs, you know, a different time. I mean, yeah. Um, the, the 20, just, 30, 40 on that instead of 22, 32, 48. Right, you know, so we're. I kind of, I kind of went with the thirty because it was close to thirty-two, and we, you know, we got a lot of different changes in the roundup realm this and I, year. And, and I'm wondering if forty is the answer instead of thirty. You should go with the forty ounce rate instead of the new thirty on, ounce rate on regular yeah. on Power Max three because the rate changed to twenty ounces, thirty right. ounces, forty right. ounces. So you're going twenty ounce of it, and did twenty ounce work? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. I think you're right, Max. If you're definitely like so focused on water hemp that you're not even putting Roundup in, like, yeah, because the other weeds are like, yep, just put it in and it'll die, right? We we put Roundup in and status, it should get everything. Yeah, yeah. There's and like atrazine, we know is a really good grass control. Atrazine's been kind of pushed to the side, and I don't feel like we get it in enough stuff, and I. The farms where I know we haven't used atrazine for two or three years is the worst grass control I have. Like I, you see these patterns. Why are we spraying atrazine? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't doesn't do enough. It doesn't. We need to do stuff that kills everything. We don't need. And I think that maybe we gotta atrazine doesn't really kill water hemp, right? I mean, we feel like it does. I mean, it's, it, okay. it's gonna atrazine is gonna help, but you're right. Of especially on your guys that are focused on a one pass pre. You got to have atrazine in there, and yeah. then maybe as they get to like sort of the two pass, a lot of the atrazines gets pulled, and you know those those seem to do okay. Not always, but well, but yeah, but if, okay like the triple it. flex sure start. I've got a lot of farms on that. Yeah, and there's no two pass. There's no atrazine, but yeah. that is almost selective to not have atrazine in right. it. I mean, the way we're doing it, right? I will say the other one that that does get kind of. Harry, and this is something that uh, this is more of a if you're buying your own chemical you got to watch out for if you call somewhere and ask for acuron make sure you're getting acuron or acuron gt not acuron flexi because it like doesn't have ad- right. if you're flexi expecting does not have if you're that. expecting atrazine make sure it's not acuron flexi that's one of those things that like or if would, you go from acuron to resicor Right, Acuron right. Yep. has atrazine. Resicor does doesn't. Not. Yep. And some people are spiking the resicor. Right, you want to spike the resicor if you want atrazine. There. Yes. Yep. And I can see Max, your general territory. You have a lot of prohibition areas. I'm sure there is. Um, not as there's. We definitely don't need to throw atrazine out the window. I'll put it that way. There's some, but not terrible. And but I think some guys are like, oh, I got a prohibition on this one field. So this three thousand acres, we're just gonna nope. We don't put atrazine on. It's like. Yeah, but it's only one field. Like we can just skip that field, you know. There's um, also too. Simazine is legal yeah. on the prohibition areas too. Yep. That's a that's a another. Speaking of that, going back to my first days, it was because I sprayed a lot north of Madison, and it was that's yeah, a that's, huge area for well, prohibition. It's funny you say there's when whenever I've gone down to Madison for meetings and stuff, and you know people in that area they'll always be like, "Well, how many how many people really use atrazine?" Because they're yeah. not used to it, and it's like, like no, you get like Arlington, Dane, like north where the research state. That's like all prohibition, and it was to a hornet. And then we did get air. I do remember twenty pound bags of simazine, dumping it in. Simazine. Yep. Yeah. So I guess it's something to something to consider when you're making your recs for next year. Just I know water hemp, and now Palmer seems to be like the next thing, but maybe maybe think about the fact that. 
the weed that beat us this year more than anything was barnyard grass, foxtail, proso millet. You know, why is proso millet kicking my butt right now? Like that's one that you just don't don't really worry about it, very often and it is also looking at which ones like crabgrass i had very little crabgrass yep. problems yep. Yeah. Yep. and that usually comes very very late um so that's odd too that it we didn't get a flush of that but it's it but is because all the like, other grasses took I, up all the area well <laughs> that and maybe because we're so focused on our late water hemp that we're getting we're our crabgrass that, yeah but no that's what's odd to me this year too is there's certain weeds that always just kind of that's their year to shine and I agree with what Max is saying, though. This is even looking past that of, okay, do you have a perennial we're, problem with this weed? How do we go after it? We're two years in a row. I think this year is worse than last year, um, but we're two years in a row where grass seemed like it got away a little bit. Yeah, and that's, where I'm, that's a pattern to me, two years in a row of the same kind of weed. And it's not a Roundup-resistant weed. Right. Two years in a row where fields are coming off, and you're like, yeah, that's not as good as we'd like it to be. That's something that you got to you gotta yeah. put, put a little weight into, so... All right. So there you go. That's some reasons why you might be seeing more weeds in your fields this fall. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. All right. Today we're looking at Missouri Supreme Court weighing in on whether counties can regulate CAFOs. So did the legislators violate Missouri's constitution when they overruled counties to clear the way for industrial hog farming across the state? There are some of these. These are questions before the Missouri Supreme Court challenging the state's attempt to bar counties from regulating concentrated animal feeding operations or CAFOs. County officials' years-long battle to retain the ability to regulate CAFOs culminated in arguments before the Supreme Court on Tuesday. Court will now weigh whether the state law prohibiting local governments from enacting regulations on CAFOs that differ at all from state rules violates the Missouri Constitution. Plaintiffs say it does, but the statute doesn't apply to existing CAFO regulations that predated the new law, such as those in Cooper and Cedar counties. So there are some exceptions potential when the uh, law went into effect. So... I think it's something we've seen um, just in general counties do f- in agriculture in Wisconsin we had not too long ago was it I don't think it was Pierce County but it was over that way there was a county that was kind of regulating weight limits and limiting options for farmers to get their milk picked up due to the milk truck weights and you know that was affecting all farmers whereas this is in particular focusing on CAFOs so we've, we've seen these kind of Things crop up in our state as well as what we're seeing here now in Missouri. So, all kind of comes down to who has the greater authority. You know, it's usually federal, state, county, local government in that order. But there are sometimes that it's not always the case. So, just reading the article got me thinking about whether or not we would want local counties deciding our CAFO rules or the state. And in some cases, it's Probably a little bit of each, really. In a lot of cases, it's a little bit of each, actually. It, it is a, a minefield when you get into the politics of who who gets the say on, on what in some of these, these cases. Because, obviously, local governments want control over what happens in their area. But at the same time, 
the state can override them in some instances, and then yep. you get these lawsuits. So, yep. How much is it like your population in that county too? Like we have counties that the people of that county are very vocal, right? So the counties get involved, and then you have other counties where the the citizens of the county don't really say anything, and they really don't get involved at all. When there's more trees than citizens in your county, right. usually, usually, you should they should do it by cow numbers. So if there's more, if you know, <laughs> there's more cows. The counties people. with the most cows get the most say. Let I think the, most guys with, with KFOs would agree with that. Let the cows vote. Yeah, let the cows, let the cows vote. vote. What do you think, Bessie? <laughs> so yeah, I don't don't think this is going away anytime soon. So it'll be interesting to see what, how this kind of plays out in Missouri. Now we'll move into our egg history minute. Since we talked chemicals and atrazine in particular before as being a a hot topic, we'll talk the history of atrazine. So it was first registered as a herbicide in 1958. Atrazine is a widely used chlorotriazine herbicide active against broadleaf and grassy weeds. Related chlorotriazine herbicides include simazine, propazine, cyanazine, all which act by inhibiting plant photosynthesis. Atrazine is applied pre- and post-emergence to agriculture land for crops such as corn and sorghum. It is also used as a non-selective herbicide. More than 70 million pounds have been applied annually in recent years, with about 75% of corn cropland receiving treatment. And as we mentioned, there are prohibition areas in parts of the state, usually sandier soils uh, tend to be be, be curious. Watch out. Be curious to know. Sorry, Matt, for interrupting. Nope. Go ahead. Be curious to know in 1958 what the the recommended rate was of atrazine. Like, do you think it was like? I mean, I don't three, know. Three, four pounds, or yeah, one million gallons. Yeah, I, <laughs> I heard. I've heard stories, and these are old stories. So, statute limitations is up on this. But I've heard stories of guys doing ten, fifteen pounds a year of atrazine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you think about why we have prohibition areas well, is because they way overdid it. Yeah. So that's not surprising if even, it was. Even you hear stories of back in the day, like I heard one guy was filling, and I still in my head don't know how this exactly were, would work, but somehow I was filling a sprayer, already had the atrazine in it, and then it somehow then it more. siphoned backflowed down the well, like because oh. the way his well was. So stuff like that, too, where back in the day people were doing, you know, like, the practices were much different. That's what's great. Like, think of the what atrazine has seen in its lifetime as a herbicide of the changes to sprayer technology and all the technology is just wild. And, and right now, like, what would you guys say your normal rate is? Half a pound to three-quarter pound? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, half pound's pretty normal. Like, it's a pint of, yeah. It's So it's it. that's what's changed a lot in this one, too, so... Yeah, it's interesting. To, I just brought up a map of the prohibition areas, and unsurprisingly, eighty percent of Dane County, yeah, is prohibition. <laughs> Not that you know. I'd, I'd like to put a population map over that too. Right, like, like what, how much is agriculture? Areas, right. Well, and you got and, a bunch of big ass lakes there too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and a lot of it. Yeah, when you look at it, it follows rivers and is close to. Um, water bodies in a lot of cases. But Gamey, so. it's like far southwest corner. There's a yep. couple yep. spots yeah. by Greenville. Yep. 
Yep, Hort, Hortonville, Greenville area. Not just right on the line, kind of between Fremont and and Hortonville there too. There's some a couple spots. So yeah, good. Thank you, Matt, and thank you to all our listeners out there. We appreciate it. Please tell a farmer friend about the podcast. All they need to do is on Apple Podcasts on your iPhone, search Tilt Talk Radio, or on Android, download the apps Podcast Attic, Podbean, and Player FM. And there, search Tilt Talk Radio. You will show up. We'll be there. To listen on your computer or smartphone browser, go to tiltag.com slash podcasts. We're now available on Amazon Music. I don't know if I can say now anymore. We've been for a while, so go to Amazon Music to find us. That is also how you'll hear us on your smart speaker like Alexa. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. All right. Now we'll get into our cool beans. That's corny and some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. Our cool beans today. Study shows positive economic returns from no-till and cover crops. So benefits of no-till and cover crops to soil health are well known. However, economic advantages of the two practices have been harder to quantify. To determine how no-till and cover crops might affect farmer bottom lines, the National Association of Conservation Districts, and day two research analyzed data from several farms. The analyzed analysis suggested that economic benefits to corn and soybean farmers adopting cover crops or no-till can run as a high as $100 an acre. The research analyzed several categories of on-farm costs and income over three years from 2014 through 2016. The analysis examine the impact of no-till and cover crops on each farm's bottom line using previous year's economic data as the baseline figure. Overall, data indicated fertilizer costs could be cut by $50 an acre, costs for erosion repair reduced by 16 and revenue from yield increases could amount to up to $76 an acre. Three of these farms were ro- <clears throat> profiled were located in Illinois, Missouri, and Iowa. The research compiled case studies for each farms, which are available on the nacdnet.org page backslash soil health research. So a lot of potential there. I mean, you're right off the bat by not tilling, you're saving gas money. So that's kind of one of the bigger factors there. Fertilizer savings and erosion control being in there along with the, as I mentioned before, the yield increases. So did it, how are they? Why is there less fertilizer? Because you're losing less soil, basically. Yeah, you're okay. not. It's not washing away, or right. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to read the research more. Yeah, it says the savings in fertilizer costs resulted from switching um, from broadcasting to in-row application. Also, so oh, doing yeah. more of a even in, banding yes, that type I would thing. totally yeah. yes. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, you also would get less loss potential doo-doo. Right. But if it's the banding thing, that that makes a lot of sense. So you could still till and band and you would get the same result in that particular thing. Yep. But the other one's not, yeah, like you say, saving fuel. Fuel ain't cheap right now. Nope. And erosion costs. I mean, especially how many new seedings have we seen that happen to where you get real erosion and big pockets. I mean, just earlier this year up Kind of in the Surring Gillette area, they had some heavy rains that washed newly planted fields, a lot of seed in the ditch. 
I was in one of those fields on Tuesday. Yeah. And they replanted, kind of worked up those, like, they were like foot and a half gullies, kind of worked them shut, brought some soil back up, and actually the corn looked really good. So yeah. they rebounded quite well from seven inches in like two, three hours. Yeah. And I was in, I've been in a field all summer that didn't get replanted. It was a no-till field. Did have some washing in some areas, like in the only places that really seemed to wash bad were the freshly planted rows because it was looser right. on top. Um, but still, it looks pretty pretty good, all things considered. So. I'm, I'm not going to say, though, that riding in the dump cart tractor with the farmer that there weren't a few areas we had to like oh, yeah. slow down a little bit to yeah. get through the little bit of a rut well, that was slow, there. Slow down's okay. <laughs> we didn't fall in, though. That's I mean, good. They're not that bad. All right. That's corny this week. Nitrogen prices seeing a resurgence for fall. Natural gas is not the only driver. So high input costs continue to be a pain point for farmers as they start thinking ahead to 2023. And nitrogen prices are seeing a resurgence heading into fall. Experts say that natural gas is not the only driver as you're looking to book your fertilizer for next year. Nitrogen prices averted a major disaster on Friday when rail companies and rail unions reached their tentative agreement and avoided a strike. But even with that positive news, prices are climbing back up as we move into fall. So they've got a chart here. The average price for NH3 kind of hit a peak around April. Hit the, the bottomed out in July, and now we're starting to creep back up. So... As we get into September, it's a very similar curve to last year, but we're about a month earlier. Yep. on the kind of like, and the bottom flip. didn't quite hit the previous no, no, low, not yeah. where it hopefully would have hit. Right, not yeah. even close. <laughs> so it's a yeah, it's not not yeah, as it was still a good two two hundred two fifty above the previous years. So yeah, we're looking at it was eight hundred per ton fall of twenty one, fifteen hundred during spring. And now today for anhydrous, they're paying, and those are all anhydrous, uh, thirteen twenty-five. So still a little bit lower than it was this spring, but not by a whole lot. So hopefully we'll see that turn around sooner rather than later. And now our field good Friday. So farm kids get sometimes the best excuse for getting out of school. And that can be to help out on the farm, especially now as we are hitting the peak harvest season. You know, we'll roll through silage, get into October, soybeans will be ready, and maybe some high-moisture corn and even grain corn. So being a farm kid means you rise with the sun, head out to the barn, help with chores before school. also means helping out after you get home from school a lot of the time. And especially true if you live on a dairy farm where there's lots to do. When kids head off to school... Many farm owners quickly realize how much extra help they need when their kids are gone. So with harvest approaching, they will tend to have the, especially older kids, help out on the farm. So sometimes their kids will miss a few days of school to help with that harvest. Hey, Max. Yep. Did you have a cool story about Grandpa Joe? <laughs> yeah. Um, this And this is a story that he told. So take it for what it's worth, I guess. But my grandpa apparently did not. Passed the fourth grade on the first attempt. 
And it was because by harvest time that year, they he had already missed enough days of school that if he missed another day, it was going to be like, you're going to have to repeat the fourth grade. And they picked corn the next day, so he was not in school. <laughs> <laughs> he was picking corn instead of... Yeah. So I don't know if it's... I guess I don't know that it's true, but I would think it is. I mean, it's, it lines up with pretty much everything else that went on, so yeah. It's uh, it's a little different now. I don't think as many kids get out of school for working on the farm, but it's still... Yeah, I think parents... I think they like it because their fridges aren't empty all the time when their kids go back to school, but they probably also... <laughs> some of these farm parents probably miss the extra tractor driver. I, I, I'd have to disagree with you, Max. If the fridge still empties out, they just eat it when they get home rather oh. than... <laughs> they may be at school for lunch, but... Even my kids who are on the younger side come home and first thing they do is hit the snacks. So I know my mom and dad said the grocery bill was phenomenal in the summer compared to the winter. What what was cool about this story, Matt, and why me and Max liked it was the so basically this person had to call their son in absent for the next day. Yep. Kind of worried about the parent worried about, well, what's the school gonna say? You know, are they gonna be like, Come on, you know, like Kids got to be at school, whatever, whatever. And basically, the secretary of the school wrote, "I will mark your son down as absent for tomorrow for farm work. Thank you for all you do to keep the U.S. running. Mm. I appreciate it." Wow, that's cool. So, like, I don't know if the secretary is involved in farming in some way or well, or why. But a lot of these kids are going to be in rural areas where I think you're right, more well, likely the, to have people that are going to understand. Yeah. If, you, if you read further into this article, it says that this family—they're the only farm family in the school. Sure. Which that part was crazy. To so me. that so then it isn't necessarily like the no. yeah. It must be somewhat rural. I mean, right, right. But but no. So I, that is always a cool thing when I, I mean, kids should be in school. That is number one. But there is times where sometimes being on the farm is okay too. And well, my I, <clears throat> I know some people who pulled their kids to. For, for dumber things. Dumb yeah. things. So, yeah. I, don't, right. I think missing a day or two is yeah. really no. that big of a deal. I didn't, now, go to, you, I didn't ever go to school the last two days before opening day of deer season. So. <laughs> right. If you're pulling your kids for a month, that's one thing. But, yeah, yeah. for a couple of days, that's... I do think when, with COVID that year, when it hit in April, that was one awesome thing. A lot of farm kids got to do yeah. the, like, corn planting and do some of the fun stuff that you don't... Show like done by the time right. school is like I, not, and maybe it would be different if it was different. But like, I do feel like the things you do on the farm in June, July, and August are always like baling hay. They were always the like hardest work, where they didn't get to do the sort of what I would call more fun stuff, like plant and harvest. So having them get that opportunity too is a really good thing for a kid to see. Think about just today, you guys. Like in our area, everybody's trying to chop corn right now, and they're projecting projecting rain for this weekend sure imagine if you could take your senior in high school and just be like hey we need an extra wagon running today we have to go like digital day how valuable is that (laughs) can learn how to yeah well and every school's got that in place now too so really it's not hard to miss school anymore it's a lot less work than it used to be yeah well and then more work for the teachers doesn't seem like they do as much homework or that other stuff anyway so it just means you have homework you guys did homework oh yeah (laughs) There's there's opportunities there. So, all right. That'll do it for today. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. Today we talked about why you might see a little more weed pressure or weeds 
in your harvested fields. On our spotlight, we looked at Missouri, determining who gets to make rules for CAFOs and how much control local government might have in that case. Egg History Minute, we talked about the history of atrazine. Cool Beans was showing positive economic return from no-till and cover crops. That's corny. Nitrogen prices on the rise once again. And our Field Good Friday was schools being understanding and farm kids being able to help out on the farm when they're needed. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.